1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so the Lord is going to inform his church in, first, in Corinth about the gifts of the Spirit. They had every spiritual gift, it says, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. However, they were kind of uninformed on how they worked. And so two aspects that I want to point out real quickly about spiritual gifting is first of all found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We'll get the slides up there on the screen, right, Terry? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its very various forms. The first thing you need to know about the spiritual gift God has given you is that spiritual gifts are God's grace given to you to give out. God has given you by his grace, which is his goodness, his undeserved favor to you, a spiritual gift, if not more than one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are given to each believer by the Holy Spirit to build up the body of believers and to glorify Jesus Christ. The purpose of the gifts is to edify the person in the seat next to you, to build them up, and to glorify Jesus Christ. These happen at the same time. When spiritual gifts are being used, people are going to be built up. The church is going to be built up. It's going to be for the common good. And Jesus Christ gets glorified when his body, us, are built up in love. Amen? You have a spiritual gift. And First Peter tells us that part of that spiritual gifting is, is receiving God's grace. Whatever he's given you, the gift he's given you, is God's grace to you. You can't earn gifts. I know that we like to market to where you earn gifts, but a true gift is something that is not earned. It is given freely from one person to another, and you have received from God, from the Holy Spirit, who, has, who is a person, who has a mind, who has a will, has a plan. He looked at you and said, yes, Jesus bought you, and guess what? Now I'm going to give you this gift to fulfill his plan in your life, his plan in the body of Christ, and to fulfill the gospel and to glorify Jesus Christ. He's thinking of you right now. He's empowered you with that gift. You get to discover it, you get to operate it, and you get to work in it, and it's God's grace given to you. So that is one of the aspects. It's God's grace. Woohoo! What do you do with God's grace? You hold on to it, you hoard it, you hide it, you put it under a bed, and you don't show anybody else ever. No, it overflows. It's meant to be given away. It's meant to be given away. And that's how you find out who you are and what God is, how God's made you in his body is, is, is receiving that grace and giving it away. And we'll talk more about the specific gifting. But secondly, the gifts are given to edify. We just talked about this. And the word edify is to build up, to build up. Do you need to be built up or torn down in your faith? The world 24-7 once is tearing my faith down. I don't know about you, but I hang around in this world for a little bit, and I get pretty discouraged. Anyone else? And it's so quickly to start doubting and start to just... And this, what happens is God has given us spiritual gifts to help build up each other's faith. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 says, this is Paul writing his letter to the, book, to the, to the, Roman, uh, the Romans. 
And he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and make, uh, to make you strong, to build you up. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And then because he doesn't have backspace, he needs to clarify on the scroll. In verse 12, he says, that is that you and I may be what? Mutually encouraged. We may build each other's faith up. And so that is what's going on. Paul longs to be with other believers. Why? Because God has given him something that they don't have. And he longs to take that grace, that gifting, to be with around someone else, to find out what God is doing and to impart it, to give it away. To give it away. And he goes, not that it's just a one-sided deal, so that you have something that I don't have that my faith desperately needs and I long to be built up by what you have. And God has given you a gift, dear brother and sister in Rome, that I desperately need as the super apostle with my cape. We need each other in the body of Christ. God has built us for relationship, for interdependence. And this is what the whole chapter is about. He goes on and starts identifying the body of Christ as a body. Matt's not doing very well today with his head not on. You know? So there's this idea that he's saying that there's this mutual need. So it's God's grace, think of it, God's grace given to you, and then God's ability for you to build someone up, and also to receive God's grace and to be built up yourself. And notice what Paul says is, I long to see you. We have to be in each other's lives for that to happen. Is there a plan for the enemy to thwart that? Of course there is. Of course there is. And so, when we have that heart, I long to be with you to build up your faith and to distribute God's grace through the Holy Spirit's gifting. When we have that heart, the body of Christ is built up and Jesus is glorified as love is our motive and the gifting and empowerment is used. And so Paul's saying, I want you to understand that. I want you to understand these things about uh, the spiritual gifting. In verse 2, and we're just going to kind of shoot through these because we went through most of the spiritual gifts last week. If you missed it, you can check out the, uh, yes, the tape online. People are like, what is a tape? The message, the digital copy online. You know that when you were pagans, verse 2, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one uh, can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not going to, the Spirit's going to glorify Jesus Christ as we spoke about last week. Someone's not going to have a gift of the Spirit and, and defame Jesus Christ or say that Jesus is accursed. Nor can anyone say Jesus is Lord. I'm a Christian without the Spirit of God truly working that in their life. It's not just words. In other words, Jesus truly is Lord. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. That is not of this earth. So that's what he's talking about there. Verse 4, it says, There are different kinds of gifts. My mind goes back to Genesis. There are different kinds of trees. There are different kinds according to its kind, according to its kind. How many kinds of cats are there? How many kinds of trees? How many kinds of shrubs are there? Do, are we getting the idea when he's saying there's different kinds of gifts? Paul, this is not an exhaustive list. 
Don't be ignorant of this. There are many kinds of gifts. There are different kinds, right, of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. The Spirit is in charge of distributing them. Therefore, verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So we've got gifts and service, the same Lord, and there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and every one of them, the same God. And so we have gifts, we have service, we have working, and we see the gifts of the Spirit, the uh, offices pretty much, and then uh, miracles and all that stuff. And then we see this, the Holy Spirit, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we see God all kind of tied in there. And Paul's using the Trinity as an example of they're, they're, they're different, they're, they're diverse, yet they are the same. They're not against each other. And so, same with the gifts. They are a multiverse of, of gifts. There's many of them, but they're all unified. They're all working together for one reason. And ultimately, he will show us the example of, of the human body. We went through this laugh last week so we can check out all that stuff online. But basically, there's a diversity of gifts given by one gift giver. And verse 7 says, Now each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for what? The common good. The reason why you are spiritually gifted by God is for the good of the body. That is the purpose of spiritual gifting. And it is for the purpose of the common good or the good of the body uh, of Christ, the people you are sitting next to right now, in front of you, in this room, the people who are on vacation. God has gifted you for them. In verse 8, and here he gets into the gifts. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, a word of wisdom. And to another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. Briefly, a word of knowledge. What is that? To know something that you possibly could not know unless God gave it to you. And there are several examples of that. The woman at the well, for example. I'm just giving one right now. The woman at the well, he's hanging out with her. And he start talking about water. Give you the giving. Can I have some of this water? She asks. What does Jesus say? He says, Sure, but go get your husband. And what does she say? I don't have a husband. She goes, Yeah, you're right. You've actually had five husbands. And the person you're with right now is not your husband that you're living with right now. So Jesus all of a sudden has this download of the intimate details of the relationship she's had and what's in her life. How does that happen? God has supernaturally gifted a believer, when this happens to us, that we know something that we possibly could not have known otherwise. That is the gift of knowledge. That is very useful in the body of Christ. Very useful. It's happened in my life. We talked about that last week a little bit. It happens in your life. Some of you might go, what in the world are you talking about, Matt? That's okay. Diversity of gifts. Some of you are going, oh, is that what that is? Now, when we receive these gifts, the tendency is to go, oh, I'm crazy, and push them away. And the tendency for the enemy to go, you're crazy. Be quiet. There's always an element of faith where we have to exercise it. And so what I do if I have something like that, and I'm unsure, before I maybe approach a person, I will go to someone I trust and say, is this the pizza I ate last night, or is this, what do you think? You know? And, and the way we ask, how does this glorify Jesus Christ? How does this build up the person? Now, we're not we're responsible for what happens with it. That's up to the Lord. But we are responsible, if the Lord's given us that, to seek him on how to apply that. And that, how that is applied is actually wisdom. And so some people are given a word of wisdom. 
An example is in Mark 3 when, with a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Remember that? Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Mark chapter 3. On the Sabbath, to save life or to kill it? So he's sitting in this group. There's a whole bunch of people around him and it's the Sabbath. This guy's a shriveled hand. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to do what Jesus did. He, he, he heals people on the Sabbath. And he knows everybody's going to get mad at him for doing it because it's against the law, supposedly. And he goes, so he has this amazing ability, this wisdom that comes into his mind. And he pos- proposes this question. Hey, what's good? Because we know God is good. He goes, to kill or to restore? Tell me. And they're all like, eh. And so he proceeds and heals them. And then the Pharisees go away and figure out how they're going to kill him. And so, wisdom. How we need wisdom and how to proceed. And then verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing on that, of that same spirit. So faith is the extraordinary trust in God regardless of circumstances. Peter walking on the water is a perfect example, right? What does he do? He walks out on the water. He says, Lord, if it's you, I'll come to you. It's me, okay. And he steps out and he's walking on water. That takes a little bit of faith, would you not say? Yes. This is not just your trusting in Jesus, not saying that that's not amazing faith. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing it, but this is in spite of all circumstances, you know God's going to come through. He's called you to do something and you step out, like off a cliff out, because you know he's going to do what he's going to do. That is a supernatural empowering, and God will gift us with that at various times. Healing. Healing requires faith, does it not? You know, there was that man who was paralyzed from birth and, and, and James and John are at the temple and they reach down, they grab him. You know, they see him, they have a, they have a word knowledge, they understanding, and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go reach out. I don't have silver, I don't have gold, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to reach down, I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to lift you up. Tell me, does that not take faith? When they reached out and they grabbed him and picked him up, faith was working and healing worked, and then the guy's ankles came all better, and he, what did he do? He did cartwheels out the temple. Maybe. I think lumping, uh, jumping and leaping, right? So healing requires faith. The gifting healing is supernatural. We're not talking about medicine. I'm a healer. No. This is talking about supernatural healing. This is a spiritual gifting as we see in the New Testament. This isn't about uh, the Lord slowly healing people's minds. This is the gifting that we're talking about here is supernatural, miraculous, Jesus spitting in people's ears, uh, spitting, uh, you know, spittle, putting it in their eyes, and things, you know, and they're healed. There's a miraculous change that happens right away physically to a person. They're healed. Emotionally, maybe they're healed right away. However, Jesus wants it, but it's supernatural. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about. It operates with the gift of faith, and we see the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom working there with Peter and John at the gate as well. And so it's not, they're not compartmentalized. The gifts just flow as God decides. We like to identify them, and Paul's just kind of given a general, uh, you know, batch that we can look at. Now where we left off last Sunday, verse 10, and to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still, to another, interpretation of tongues. 
miraculous powers, this gift is not the power to see through walls or to fly over buildings or to turn Ruck into a big green monster with anger issues. This is not what we're talking about, not those kind of superpowers. This is actually to go ahead and literally the word is dynam, dyan, uh, sorry, dynamesis or the acts of power. It's dynamic. There's a dynamic that's happening. It's to override the laws of nature. Override the laws of nature. An exa- example is Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27. Jesus is with his disciples uh, and, uh, well, I mean, and, and, and he's asleep in the boat and it starts rocking and they start freaking out. And they go, wake him up, and they go, Jesus, wake up from your nap. We're going to die. And what does Jesus do? He stands up, and he says, be quiet. Maybe he was talking to everybody, but I think he was, you know, maybe the, it was, no, he was speaking to the winds and the waves. And they were all quiet, and they were stilled and instantly, and they were amazed because of that. That is a miraculous power. That is something that's defying the law of nature. Another example, Jesus turns uh, water into wine. That is something that is just not normal. That is defying the law of nature. Again, Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Remember what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 40? Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Raising people from the dead is pretty much a miraculous power, would you not say? Do you think God might want to do that type of thing in the hearts and the minds of people here in Walla Walla? No, he definitely does not. He doesn't want to raise the dead. He doesn't want to do miracles. He doesn't want to heal. I just don't want to put a, I don't want to limit that, do you? I want to say, whatever you have for us, Lord, is yours. You are sovereign. You distribute the gifts. And so if you want to use me to heal someone, if you want to use me to raise the dead, if you want to use me in any capacity, cleaning a toilet, let's do it. Whatever you have for your kingdom and your glory, amen? These are not just Old Testament gifts. These are for here and today and and now. And we see a lot more of these things happening uh, where I think the gospel is on the frontier, I would say, so to speak. We see this happening in India and in China and South America and Africa, everywhere except for the Western world. It seems that they're they're happening more. But as we move further away from God, we need to be re-evangelized. There's generations of people who, who go to school right now or in, in high school and kindergarten who never heard of the name of Jesus or it's just something far off and distant and the gospel is, needs to be re-penetrated back into our culture. I think God might want to do some miracles in people's lives. I think he might want to heal some people and, and stir up their faith. Who knows? How is he going to work that through? Is he going to work it through non-believers or is he going to work it through the church? I think he's going to work it through the church. And do you think the enemy would want to stop you from stepping out in faith in some of these things or growing in them or asking God for them? Of course he would. So I know, I know that, you know, that I would, you know, be hesitant to, you know, step out in faith in those things. But that's why they're spiritual giftings. They're not mat giftings or, mater- or natural giftings. And so and to another in verse 10, it says, to another prophecy. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time here on prophecy because it's emphasized, well, tongues and 
uh, and the interpretation tongues is really hit in chapter 14. So we're going to save that for chapter 14 and hit it all at once. But prophecy is really, really emphasized in the giftings. He says actually desired above all the other gifts. And we're going, okay, what in the world? Why would I want to desire prophecy? Why would I want to? And what is that? Do I, I mean, we have all these images and thoughts of what that is. And so let's try to clarify that. But it says, to another prophecy. And really prophecy has two aspects if you're looking at it. There's the foretelling, which is kind of what we're most familiar with. Foretelling is kind of telling what's going to happen in the future. We see that happening a lot. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see that happening. Jesus gave prophecies all the time. The, the whole Old Testament is, is a prophecy, basically, of Jesus Christ coming, is it not? From Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 3, on. I mean, just prophecy after prophecy. So there's this foretelling. We see an example of this in the New Testament with Agabus in Acts chapter 11, verse 28. Acts chapter 11, 28. It said, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this actually happened during the the reign of Claudius. So this guy stands up and says, hey, there's going to be a famine in the Roman world. The church is in trouble. They're going to be hungry. This is going to be a problem for our brothers and sisters in the Judean area. And, all, and, and we're just, so as a result, the church went and they helped the churches that were affected and the body was edified and Jesus was glorified through a prophet. What if someone said, hey, there's going to be an earthquake in 15 days and we need to, now we know that people have said Jesus is coming back in 10 minutes and it doesn't happen and people are going, okay, false prophet, here we go. And so we're just very, don't want to have anything to do with that, Right? And so let's navigate that a little bit. A true prophet is going to be one who is right. (laughs) That's one way you know. And Jesus also says you're going to know them by their fruit. Okay, we'll get into that. But the other part is forth-telling. Forth-telling. Not just foretelling, but telling it the way it should be. And this is really the emphasis here. This would be more of a spoken word from the Lord to the people or a person through a spirit-filled individual. Brothers and sisters, I've been praying, and this is what the Lord has laid on my heart, and I think this is what, I know this is what he said, and here you go. Now, how many of you despise that? How many of you reject that? I I mean, we've been so abused so much in our culture, it's just kind of like, I just have a nervous twitch when I hear that a little bit, you know? Okay, thus saith the Lord. Really? But that's what he's talking about. More of a direct someone who is heard from the Lord and gives it out to the people and says, this is what God is saying that we should do or where we should go or what's going on. Now, the word would be given, be giving encouragement it would be giving direction. It would be giving exhortation, you know, maybe some, some of that in there. Coaching, uh, correction, and the like. By the way, here's some guidelines. Prophecy is not on par with Scripture. Prophecy is not on par with Scripture. I would say it, it does not replace or usurp Scripture, but rather should complement it. 
The scripture is the base for which we judge, judge prophecy. Amen? It's not going to contradict the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's not going to contradict uh, the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's not going to contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord said that we are now to begin to celebrate, you know, this high holy day and we're to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, then you need to tithe 50% to me and we'll all be good and God will be glorified. You know what I'm saying? This gets, gets, people can take advantage of that and get weird. It's not going to do that. It's going to glorify Jesus Christ. It's going to edify the body, but there's going to be an element of faith to it. And all prophecy needs to be put up against the inspiration of the scripture and be tested. And that means what? We need to know the word, right? And be in the word. People love the word. And here's something it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. We're not to despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecy. It says don't do that. So Paul knows there's a tendency for us to despise those things. But he says, don't, dis- don't despise it. But do this, rather, to test everything and hold fast to what is good. As we're going to read soon, it's the gift to be desired, prophecy above all gifts, because it edifies the body of the most. The most. Let me give you an example of that. Acts chapter 27, 21 through 26. Here's an example of prophecy in action. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete. Remember, they're stuck out in a boat. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because, oh, what's happening here? Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will never happen. Uh, that, I'm sorry, that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So the people were edified, and God was glorified, and it exactly happened the way it was. No one was lost. The ship was lost, and those things happened. Prophecy happening. Another example of how prophecy worked in Acts. So that was an example of, of, forth, of, of foretelling. In Acts 13, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, where it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. How does the Holy Spirit say, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them? Everything you know about the New Testament, did the Holy Spirit start speaking in an audible voice? It does not say. But what, we can, I, what I deduce and I imply is that they are praying and they are fasting as this church has done before. And what happens? Someone's filled with the Spirit. And someone filled with the Spirit says, you know what? Man, I cannot get this out of my mind and my heart. And as much as it grieves me to send these two besties away, the Spirit is saying, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. And after he said that, what does it say they did? Then they fasted and prayed some more. So it wasn't just a, oh yeah, the oracle is spoken. 
They prayed and asked them, is that really what you want, Lord? And all their hearts were united around it. And that is exactly what happened. And we read the book of Acts. The latter half of Acts is a result of that prophecy that happened. How was Paul to know that this, when, when he was writing, going through uh, the areas, uh, kind of penetrating into uh, Greece and Turkey, how is he to know that he couldn't go north or the Spirit said no or the south or he couldn't go? The gift of prophecy was happening within the church. The gift of prophecy was happening. The Lord was using the body and people around to speak requires faith. It's not the Christianity we grew up with where Sunday morning is it. It's a lifelong seeking God, asking God, trusting, leaning upon other brothers and sisters in the life, sensing the Spirit, putting it up against the Word of God, God speaking through the body and the body moving. It is faith. It's faith. I long for that in my life and I long for that in our church. Not a weird thing. But God just filling us and using us and speaking and guiding us through the various giftings that are within each of you. Amen? So that's a great example of the gift of prophecy. Now it's most likely the Spirit works in this way in the New Testament. But I want to throw it back to some Old Testament examples. I know it's a little different. But Second Chronicles chapter 20 verses 2 through 4. It's actually in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Bear with me. Hold on. This is deep stuff. This is good stuff. If Jesus said through Paul, this is the, the, the gift that you should desire above all things, we got to pay attention. We got we to gotta dig deep. We got to start thinking. We got to start asking, praying, and looking how it works and saying, God, do you want me to do this? Is this how you want me to operate within the body? I feel really uncomfortable, but we got to have that dialogue. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4, some of the people came to and told Jehoshaphat, the king, a vast army is coming up against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon, uh, Tamar, that is in the Engedi. It's right over the hill, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, great leader, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Ju- Judah. Good leaders call fast and they seek the Lord when decisions need to be made. What are we going to do in, as a church? Decisions need to be made. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're calling it. Amen? Not as like you're doing it, but that's what we do as Christians. Amen? That's what we do. How many people wanted to put, a, put down their Xbox and go fast and pray? You know, I'm just saying it's something we do. There's an army coming up. There's a threat. There's a decision that needs to be made. Anyways, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then in verses 5 through 12, the king, he prays, and he reminds God of his promises. Awesome. Now, do you think that just reminded God of his promises, or do you think that reminded the king and the people of the promises? It really wasn't for God's help. He knew what he did, but by his spirit, he drew them all together. They started praying. Hey, you said, you said, you said, you said. And that's all we rest on as people, what he says. And then, verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That is awesome. That is a great place to be as a church, as a people. 
We have no power against this, but our eyes are upon you. We don't even know what to do, but we've come to seek you. And that's when God speaks. That's when God speaks, church. When we're humble, when we've, we've humbled ourselves and we said, I don't have it. I don't have a clue where to go, what to do. I don't got the grand plan, but you've got it. And oh, Lord, speak. And what does God do? Verses 13, 14. How does he answer? And all the men of Judah with their wives and their children, the little ones, they stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the descendant of Asaph, as he stood in, in the assembly. A descendant of Asaph, the Spirit fell upon Asaph a hundred years before, prior, one of three of the main worship leaders in King David's kingdom. Flip over to 1 Chronicles chapter 25. Click over. 1 Chronicles 25. Here we are a hundred years earlier. It says, David, King David, together with the commanders of the army, set up some of the sons of what? Asaph. He-man. Awesome. And Jedithan. For what? For the ministry of prophesying. With what? Accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And here's the list of men who performed the service from the sons of Asaph. So 100 years later, a descendant of Asaph, who was commissioned by God in the worship of the Old Testament as a prophet to prophesy as they sang, what do you think all of, uh, all of Psalms are? Prophecies. Inspired by the Spirit, David was one of them, singing and praising God and glorifying the Lord and telling of his victories and all this stuff. A worship team guy stood up in front of all the people and says, I think the Lord's speaking. He's speaking. Here we go. And he starts speaking. And notice what he says. Listen. King Jehoshaphat, verse 15, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid nor discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Go down tomorrow and march against them. He addresses the real issue, which is fear. And that's what Jesus always does. He walks in and says, doesn't that sound like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like the angel who stood before Joshua? To do not fear nor be dismayed. Then Jesus comes on the scene, do not fear nor be dismayed. Do not fear. This prophet right in the middle, speaking by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus says what? Do not fear but the battle is not yours. It's God. And then he starts telling them what they need to do. Go down, and this is how you're going to go down there. And by the way, you're going to send the army in front because it's not going to be by your, your organizing of your horses and your army. It's going to be by you praising God. Faith is going to go before you. And as you praise and as you worship the Lord and as you trust in him, he's going to deal with whatever's in front of you. Church, is God speaking to us? Is prophecy happening right now? I'm not a prophet. You know, all the, but I'm just saying he's what Gary had said earlier that this is something that this is our life. This is how we work as a church. We 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 
humble ourselves before the Lord and we seek Him and we ask Him. And, and I think what the Lord is trying to tell us is, I've got you. Do you have me? Humble yourselves. Worship me. Enjoy me. Trust me. I'll take care of the enemies. I'll take care of the, the things in front of you. Just keep your eyes on me. We know that, but when does it translate into action? And that's the purpose, to edify the body. So these things are happening. These are examples I wanted to give you up, give you uh, as real, just as the Lord's been laying it on my heart. To fast and pray and ask the Lord to speak by His Spirit to the church through those gifted by the Spirit for the building up of the body and the glorification of Jesus. And now, real quickly, we need to test the spirits. We need to test it. Jesus talked about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 says, Follow the way of love, eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So we're really supposed to eager this gift because, desire this gift because it gives direction, it gives clarification, so many things. It's, it's the fluid of how and when we're to do. The Bible is silent on so many things. It gives us principles. But do I go buy this house? Do I not buy this house? Do, do we sell the place or do we not sell the place? We need to get the Lord's timing and all that type of stuff happening, and this is how it happens. And yet we're told not to despise the prophecies. So we're to desire it. We're not to despise it, but we're also to test it. Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, Watch out for false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And how are you to know whether what they're saying is true or not? By the fruit you will recognize them. How do they live? What do they do? That's how you'll recognize them. What do they live? What do they do? They look like Jesus. Are they driving heaven cars on earth? I'm just saying, what are they doing? Are they, are they living like Jesus? So do not look at what they say, but what they do is a way that we can discern what is true and false prophecy. Obviously, we test what they say against the word. Jesus is going to go on in verse 21 of Matthew 7 to say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. So they're people who actually do the word. And they're not just hearers, but they are doers. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? So there are false prophecies, even prophecies that people say and can come true. And just because they come true does not mean they're of the Lord. Moses, staff, throws it down, turns into a snake. Magicians, sorcerers from where? Pharaoh's palace took their staffs, threw them down, turned into snakes. There are false signs, false powers, demonic powers that mimic and emulate true spiritual gifting. Read Deuteronomy chapter 13. If they're drawing you away from the Lord, they're false prophets. They're drawing you close to the Lord. No matter who it is, your brother, sister, uncle, doesn't make a difference. They're drawing you closer to Jesus Christ. If they're calling you to get closer to him, if it's edifying the body, if it's furthering the gospel, good sense. But we're to test it. That is your responsibility to be a Berean as we go forward, to test the word of God. I mean, to test the, the word spoken on God's behalf. So we gotta, we got to seek that out. So a true prophet is one who does what Jesus says. They live it out, and the fruit of the Spirit will be right along there with the gifts.
For extra credit, you can read Second Peter chapter 2 to find out what God thinks about the eternal situation of false prophets. It's not very uplifting at the moment. We're almost done. And so this is what the Spirit gives, the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits mentioned right after the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To another uh, is distinguishing of spirits. This is not the gift of pessimism or cutting people down with different personalities than us. That has nothing to do with it. This is a spiritual gift given, uh, spiritual gift given by the Spirit to have a person to have the supernatural ability to discern what the Spirit of someone is saying or something is happening. Hold on for just another minute. So Peter... He's hanging out with Jesus. Remember that? Well, actually, real quickly, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. There's three basic, three basic spirits to distinguish. There's the spirit of man, the spirit of the devil, and there's the spirit of God. Those are the three big spiritual type things that we need to discern. Is this coming from man and his carnal desires? Is this coming for, from Satan and what he wants to do? And sometimes playing with man, they overlap there. And, or is this from, from the spirit of God? And this is really requires discernment. First John two sixteen says, "Put it." Th- he put it this way: For everything in the world regarding the spirit of man or the earth is is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes out comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of so think of that apple. You know, she looked at it, she craved it because it met a desire. She saw it because it was pretty. And you know, so that kind of worldly thinking, M- Madison Avenue. That world, it's, it basically just is me ruling. The spirit that says, I want to rule. Then there's the spirit of the devil. Isaiah 14, 13 through 15, you know the five I wills that Satan said to the Lord. Says, uh, God said to Satan, uh, to Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the uttermost heights of the mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the, to the mountain at uh, the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Satan's whole deal for manipulating us is to thwart God's rule and authority so that he would be exalted. Jesus, hey, I know you're really hungry. Okay, turn this into that. Okay, don't, uh, Jesus didn't do that. Hey, look at all these kingdoms I have because Adam sinned and I get, I get them now. And until you die and take them back, I will, you know, I still rule them. But if you bow down and worship me, then guess what? All these can be yours, you know, and, and he laid it out. Satan's kingdom. What spirit is that? That's the spirit of Satan. And lastly, of the spirit of God that will glorify Jesus Christ who glorifies the Father. The gift of discernment is the empowerment of the spirit to know what the spirit is in operation in a circumstance. Let me give you a last ap- practical application and we'll stop. Peter's hanging out with Jesus, and we're in Matthew 16. Jesus says, what say you? He says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, he answers, and what does he say? You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for what? This was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven, Jesus discerning of spirits that man did not give you this. This is from the Father. Do you see how he was able to discern that? This is a Holy Spirit directed revelation, not a natural knowledge. This came from the Lord. Jesus 
discerned that Peter was speaking by the Spirit. But a few verses later, what happens? Same conversation, what happens? Verse, six, verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, right? And on the third day, he'd be raised to life. And so he explains the gospel to Peter. And what does Peter say in verse 22? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and say, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Don't do that. Now, Peter's acting on a totally natural human emotion, is he not? And we would all say, yeah, that sounds, Jesus dying, that's horrible. No. Do you see the danger? Because what happens? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's inspired by the Holy Spirit in one second, in one verse, and five minutes later, what's happened? Satan comes along and says what? Peter, you don't want that to happen. He can't die. Peter's oblivious to the spiritual reality of what's happening. And that's the point. The enemy can play upon us and use us to thwart God's plan. And the spirit of discernment comes in and says, no, that's not what the Lord would have. This is coming from this. And you got to repent. And Jesus comes in and says Peter, get behind, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is huge because good ideas are given by good people with good intentions every day within the church, but we are desiring God's will over man's good ideas and best intentions. And that's what our church needs. I might have some great ideas. Yay. You don't want great ideas. You want God's will. God's will. God's spirit. Amen? We need this, the, the gifts of the spirit, the spirit of discernment. So our church is going to be appraised. It's being appraised right now. And we're going to have a number. And the number is going to be big-ish. You know, who knows? Several hundred thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars, maybe more. And we're going to have a lot of great ideas. We need to discern what His will is, what glorifies the Lord. Amen? We need that. Not just, oh, now we have this, so now we could build God's kingdom. Really? Okay, Lord. What is it that you have? And we start dialoguing, we pray, we fast, we seek the Lord, and he starts giving us a sense of what he's doing. Just as the Spirit determines. Lastly, different kinds of tongues and all that stuff we'll get into. I want to finish with this one last thing. The Scripture's clear. The church is not going to mature. It's not going to grow in any way, spiritually or numbers. We're not going to function properly without each of us functioning in the Spirit and with the power and gifts He gives. That's the way He designed it. The body does not work without the heart pumping. You know? It just doesn't work. May I ask you, this is my challenge to you and to me, to search your hearts this morning and ask the question, that I've asked myself regarding my part in this body, do I care? 
do I even care? Anybody get there sometimes? Okay, just get it over with, Matt. I gotta go. I, I struggle with it. Anybody else? But do I care? These are questions I'm asking myself. Do I desire gifts? Do I love enough to use them? Do I seek to be filled so I can pour out? I would like to leave with a challenge that really struck me by Pastor John Piper that has been eating at my soul and challenging me, and I'll just read this. And, and this is, this, I think, this is kind of lays out, I think, the heart of, of what we struggle with as a church. I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic, it is not a basic problem. It's not about knowing your spiritual gifts. More basic is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. More basic is the problem of, desiring, of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. Human nature is more prone to tear down than it is to build up. The path of least resistance leads to grumbling and criticism and gossip, and many there be that follow it. But the gate is narrow, and the way is strewn with obstacles, which leads to edification and the strengthening of faith. So the basic problem is becoming the kind of person who wakes up in the morning, thanks God for a great salvation, and says, Lord, oh, how I want to strengthen people's faith today. Grant that at the end of this day, somebody will be more confident of your promises and more joyful in your grace because I crossed his path. The reason I say becoming this kind of person is more basic than finding out your spiritual gift is that when you become this kind of person, the Holy Spirit will not let your longings go to waste. He will help you find ways to strengthen the faith of others and that they will be and, and that that will be the discovery of your gifts. Did you get that? When you say, Lord, I long to love your body like you love them. I long to strengthen someone's faith. I long that at the end of this day that it would be someone would be edified and, and built up through me. And the Holy Spirit is not going to have you thinking about, oh, my gift is prophecy, I better prophesy. He's just going to move you. And as you just start to be who you are in Christ, you discover that is your gifting. See? So let's apply ourselves to becoming the kind of people more and more who long to strengthen each other's faith. Praise the Lord. Father, we ask for you to give us all the gifts of the Spirit, to manifest them, actually. You've already given them. Manifest them. Make them known, but not for the sake of knowing what the gifts are, but for the sake of loving the people around us and glorifying your Son and bringing the gospel to Walla Walla. Whatever obstacles we have, place them this week in our hearts in light of the cross, in light of the glory, in light of the power, Lord, of your throne 
that we will sit around and, and cry around and, and praise around forever and ever with untold joy and expression that we have never yet, haven't even been able to discover yet. Pour it out upon us. We're just sheep in front of you, Lord Jesus, needing you to give us bread and water. Help us to feast upon you this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.